All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca podcast episode. Uh, this is the kind of day where I wish that we did keep kind of a live timeline. Usually I leave dates and so forth out of the podcast, but it is a Monday and uh, I'm, it's nice weather outside. There's sun and I'm having really great conversation already with my guest for today, Taylor Ingalls. Taylor, thank you for hanging out with me today on the Boca podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nathan. I'm a little bit jealous because here in Michigan, we are having record colds. Um, it was one degree last night, so oh. enjoy Tennessee for me. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Well, for us, I mean, it was, uh, I think it was in the 20s this morning, so that's cold for us. It's up to 53 right now, it says, so that's not too bad. But I just, there's something about the sun that just gives oh. me so much energy. I mean, it naturally obviously does, especially if you could actually be outside, but just seeing the sun and blue sky is so invigorating for me. I love starting the day that way. So um, yeah, I'm just naturally that much more energetic. And then for all of our listeners, we, you and I chatted, Taylor, for probably about 20 minutes or so before we started recording. Good conversation already. Uh, I love the energy. I love the interaction. You gave me some great feedback on the podcast as we continue to try to refine what we do. So I'm excited about our conversation. And to that end, we're going to jump right in. We're going to talk about brand position. For those of you listening in, the brand position topic is something that we you've probably heard endlessly if you listen for a long time. Um, it's something that I feel is super important because we're in a really noisy industry where there are a lot of photographers and we have to figure out how to set ourselves apart. And one of the things that we can do is to establish and then effectively communicate our unique value proposition. So I'm curious what yours is, Taylor, there in your market. Well, as a listener of the podcast, I know this is kind of the the big question and I did refine it before our interview because I knew I'd be getting those questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a little bit on the wordy side, but I am proud of it. Um, I'm a Michigan wedding photographer for the couple that views marriage as an opportunity to spend every day with their best friend. By photographing everything from barn weddings to city weddings, I allow my clients' personalities to take the center stage in my work and my artist touch is felt through timeless editing and elegant posing. Well, but that first part, I'm actually on the homepage of your site. So for everybody listening in, tayloringlesphotography.com, T-A-Y-L-O-R-I-N-G-L-E-S, photography.com. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, on that, on the homepage of your site, that first part is seemingly what you're using as your brand position statement for the couple that sees marriage as an opportunity to spend every day with their best friend. That gives me kind of the, the warm and fuzzies, which I love. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to an actual brand position statement, how are you using that to set yourself apart from other photographers? How are you doing things differently than other photographers based on that position statement? Absolutely. So to me, I mean, we all have seen the light and airy, the dark and moody, the off-camera flash. There are so many beautiful styles of art and one is it's all subjective. One is not better than the other. For me personally, when I was a, a bride looking to hire a photographer, I really wanted something timeless and classic so that, you know, while, while five years later, I, I kind of regret going with the, the theme that I did. What I don't regret is having a photographer who photographed true to life color and really just classic images. You, mm. Some of my, my black and white images I mean, it could be 1920 or 2020. Um, you know, my husband's in a tux. I'm in a white dress. The, yep. the posing is is very traditional. And that was something that I really appreciated and valued. And the photographer I hired, you know, barn weddings weren't necessarily his majority of his clients, but he came and he allowed us to come through instead of himself. Mm. And as a client, that really it became something that I wanted to do in my business. You know, I, I really believe this is not 
serving the client is not always about me. I'm a big believer in boundaries and, you know, a lot of things that my mental health and my well-being and working with clients that I enjoy. And so that is why I don't box myself into boho elopements or city weddings or barn weddings. I want to be an amazing guide on your journey of becoming a bride and a groom. And I want it to be about you and you'll feel my work and my touch by looking at a barn wedding, a city wedding and an elopement and going, wow, these are perfectly exposed, a soft OCF coming in on the portraits. Um, You know, the the grass is green, the the skin is skin color, the, the sky is blue. That is I think how I separate myself where I don't work with just one type of bride, the, the people that I work with are people who are excited to get married and love each other and are best friends. And that's really the one factor that ties all of my clients together. It's not their style or their aesthetic. Um, and I think that's a little bit unique nowadays. A lot of people, their Instagram feed looks mega cohesive and every client is basically the same type of person. And for me, that's just not the case. And I think that makes me unique because um, you know, that's something I don't really see nowadays. Yeah, I think, well, and it gives you some, it's interesting because, uh, you know, position statement is ideally going to help us kind of focus on a niche. Yours is an interesting one in the way that you're describing it and that it actually allows you to kind of widen the lens, if you will. I mean, you, you've got a larger market segment to pull from um, than maybe if you had a very super specific uh, style, whether it's the finish of your images or the actual style, you know, it's super fashion focused or, you know, the boho wedding, like you were talking about, whatever it might be, you, you've kind of pulled back from that. You're just focused on this love story in front of you. And um, I mean, I'm certainly seeing this in, in the imagery on your on your website, too, is this these images are scrolling through. Uh, and, you know, the other thing about the style, and this is something I'm torn on, honestly, because I love some of the when it comes to editing style, as much emphasis as photographers put on editing style and using, you know, the gazillion different presets uh, that are out there, many of which I think look super cool. I also know having been in the industry now for 20 years or so and having shot weddings for about or over half that time, how trends come and go. And so to your point, Taylor, I mean, I, I still remember there's this very specific experience that I had having applied um, something that was super popular back, this is years ago, probably like, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe a bit more. Um, there was a kind of, what would you call it? It was like a cross-processed effect with some vignette around it. Um, <laughs> I think I know. I think my in-laws have a photo very similar in their house. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. it was that, and it was meant to emulate some kind of a, you know, a snapshot film camera or something. But nonetheless, I, I this, we applied this to an engagement session that I'd photographed, had an album made from it. And one day I sat down in my office slash studio, if you will, and, and I was looking through this. I'm like, what in the world was I thinking? And, and of course, the funny thing is, not just but like a year or two before, I thought that was cool. Uh, and it was popular in the industry, or at least a segment of the industry. And now I'm looking at it thinking, what in the world? So I, I get where you're coming from uh, when it comes to creating classic imagery that's going to look good now. It's going to look good five years, 10 years. I think that's something to be considered uh, maybe even more, quite a bit more, in fact, than it is now. Have you had conversations like this with your photographer friends? What do they say? You know, I get better reception of that idea from my clients. If and and I am so grateful because that means when I get an inquiry and they say we we want timeless, elegant imagery. I don't know if they had those words in mind before they view my website, 
but they, those words are very present on my website. I think I might even have something saying timeless over trendy or, or timeless and elegant. And so when I hear a a potential client say those words to me, Mm. then I know again, whether, whether it's a barn wedding or whether it's, you know, at the DIA in, in downtown Detroit, that person has been able to identify the style that I photograph with. And to me, I always tell them I'm working for you today. Yes. But I'm really working for the you in five years, the you in 50 years, Nice. you know, your, your, your grandchildren, if you choose to have children, um, that is who I have in mind. And I, I mentioned a little bit before that I, I'm really, um, before we started recording, but that I really believe in feedback. And so I'll, I will tell clients, I say, I want you to have the best day of your life. And if it's not with me, I respect that. I care more about you having the best day of your life, but please know that if, you know, in five years, I don't want you to regret the the images that you've taken or the, the dresses you picked out or anything like that. Just, although it's, it's so fun to be on the cutting edge of trends, it's not who I am. And so typically it's not who my clients are either. I know so many amazingly talented people. My sister is one of them. She's always on the cutting edge of fashion and technology. And, you know, I might not be the right photographer for her. She might pick somebody who's mega trendy, but um, I'm kind of an old soul. I've always been, been told that. And that's just, it's come so much more natural to me. And therefore I attract the people who really value that. I, I think that's just kind of the the vibe I put off and what I show on my website. And I definitely have preferences of what kind of weddings I prefer to shoot, but again, it's not really about me. And so if I get one of those weddings where the style and the aesthetic is exactly what I would choose, great. It's extra fun. But if it's something I wouldn't, I'm going to show up with the same energy and gratitude to photograph the day. Well, I love the theme there and our conversation and your commentary thus far, which is client focus. Um, and, and, We've talked about this a decent amount on the podcast. I think the emphasis on the photographer and their style and their portfolio and their Instagram following and their feed and all these things that are photographer centric um, needs to take a bit more of a, a backseat to the client's experience. And this is really a great segue to my next question, which has to do with client experience. I'm curious, outside of what you've already described, is there a particular principle or idea that is driven bringing a good customer experience to your clients? Yes. Um, for me, it's reading the room. So I love people, whether it's taxes or photography, really why I do what I do is to love and serve people and build relationships and, and enjoy the human experience with others. Um, I'm an extrovert if you can't tell. So I really believe in being able to read a room. So recently I got an inquiry. Um, the couple was more reserved. Their wedding day was going to end at 9 PM. Um, they, They may have been religious. And so I'm pulling on the the aspects of myself that connect with the client authentically, Mm. not not faking it, not putting on whatever the client wants to hear. I completely disagree with that. Um, You know, that's when expectations don't match up on wedding day and then both parties are disappointed. But well, people can read that, too, don't you think? Yeah, it's gross. We all hate it. But I also had an inquiry the same week from a really fun, loud Italian girl, super, um, you know, we had connected on Instagram and I could just tell it was going to be one of those parties that lasted till midnight and a giant family and everyone was going to be singing songs and being rowdy. And I have a, I have an enormous family. My grandma had 13 kids. So for me, I can totally connect with that experience as well. And just being able, I think, to authentically connect with your client 
on the aspects that you have in common instead of writing that person off as being not your vibe or, you know, just working to make them feel comfortable and in an authentic way. Obviously, um, you know, being a chameleon for sales is icky and we don't want anybody to do that with us, but okay. You live, you're an adult male living in Tennessee. I'm a adult woman living in Michigan. We don't have much in common, but what we do have in common is our passion for photography. So let's focus on that instead of focusing on our differences. This is kind of the way that I approach client service and, um, it's worked out. And I think just really fanning the flame of whatever they're passionate about. And if you can relate wonderful. Well, and it goes back to, to, to setting ego aside, right? This idea that either we have to make sure that the client is propping us up. So we play the chameleon role, like you're talking about, or learning to set aside your preferences for the sake of focusing on what you can find in common for the sake of connection. I mean, and this is an interesting point of conversation just in general and, and life, right? Because this is hugely helpful in any kind of relationship, whether it's personal or professional, or romantic or with friends and family. Uh, if, if we focus on how we can relate and we start there for the sake of connection, uh, I think we can go much further in relationships than, than maybe a lot of us would even give credit uh, especially in certain, in the context of certain relationships, relationships or with certain people, we just, it's easy to write them off because they don't fit our mold. And the reality is the life would be super boring to say the least. Uh, if that's all that happened is that we're just constantly connecting with people that are exactly like us. Yeah. And, and I feel like this is my gift being, being an extrovert, being someone who loves people, being someone who is incredibly fascinated with stories and and the human experience and everyone's unique path and kind of being able to appreciate the uniqueness and the identity of of every individual. Um, But that's not everyone's gift. And so if you're somebody who this is not going to work, this is not who you are, don't do it. I'm fully about that too. And you had mentioned, um, you know, putting out our brand and putting, making social media about ourselves and our website about ourselves. And to a point, absolutely. Because we need to attract people who are like us in some sense, who like our work. And so I'm all about making your website and your brand about you, but for the client to decide if you are the right fit, not for your ego, for you to feel cool. So I think, um, you know, the intent behind what we're doing and what, and the why can really drive the customer experience or it can completely detract from it because it's, I've become very private. I really don't like sharing my life on on the internet, but I know that I have to, to get people to book me for who I am and for the experience I provide. So, you know, having to get out there a little bit more, um, it can be, it can be uncomfortable, but the point of it is not for me. And I think that's why I struggle because it feels very egocentric and that's, I'm afraid. I don't want people to think I'm doing this for the wrong reasons, but you know, having a a good quality headshot and some photos you're proud of, of yourself on your website is important. And so you got to just do it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Talk to me about time management. Um, this is certainly a favorite topic here on the podcast. And I'm curious, what, what is it that you're doing to enable a, a sort of balance? And of course, balance looks different for each person, but a balance in your life between managing a business, having a family, is there a principle or an idea that's enabled you to do that more effectively? So I'm in a 
bit of a unique situation. I actually went full-time with my business at the end of July, 2020. So right now, um, I wouldn't say that I have a ton of other things that are demanding my attention, okay. obviously my personal life. And, you know, that's very important, but coming from somebody who is side hustling for three years, I feel like I have all the time in the world and it's wonderful. <laughs> um, that's so great. Yeah, I'm super grateful. Obviously, anybody else who is doing this part time or you know as a side hustle, in, in addition to a part another part time or full full time job, I feel like you know what I'm talking about. Where if you have 15 minutes, you're answering an email or being uber productive. And now I feel like I have the space to be creative and the space to you know work on the business, not necessarily in the business like I did the last three years. But something that's been really refreshing for me is just taking the weekend off social media. I have had to view social media as a part of my job. It's not, it's not something that I really enjoy. Um, I don't really feel good after I've been on social media. I I feel like I'm being nonproductive or kind of wasting my time. So a a great way, but I know it's important for business. And so a great way for me to balance that and stay excited and stay energized is to not check Instagram over the weekend. And then Monday through Friday, make sure I'm posting, posting stories and engaging with my followers. So between that and between trying to shut my computer when my husband comes home from his job has kind of been my rule of thumb for now. And I'm sure it will change as, you know, if we decide to grow a family or other changes come up, but for right now, just kind of the social media detox on the weekend has been really good for me. Oh no, that's great. I mean, honestly, why this is, so a couple of things. One, I'm curious because you said you're an extrovert. It seems like an extrovert would be more naturally drawn to the interaction that can come from being on social media. In this case, it's obviously not the case. What are your what do you think the reasoning or the thought process is there? Because personally, I'm I'm not super interested in being on social media myself, other than the fact that I have multiple brands that I'm involved with. So fine, yeah, I'm I'm okay I'm okay with getting on to share. Uh, but if if it was my choice at the end of the day, how I spent my time, it certainly wouldn't be the thing that I would jump to. How are you, what are your thoughts about that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, I think you just summed it up perfectly. I'm on there for business. I'm not on there for pleasure. I mean, we all enjoy a mindless scroll once in a while and I do that often. Sure. Um, but I am trying to figure out how to say this in a positive and polite way. <laughs> um, I believe that we are wasting so much of our lives on technology and we're going to one day really regret the hour of mindless scrolling we did every single day of our life. And I don't want to have that regret. Hmm. And I don't want to be sitting next to my husband who's only home a couple hours, you know, and then you go to bed and I want to cherish the time and be present with the people that I'm around. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel that I personally get a lot of value from social media as a consumer. So for me, I I just, I don't think it really enhances my life or betters my life. Absolutely. I love staying in touch with some old friends and abreast of current trends and events, but I think I, I just don't find personal value in social media. I'm not, I'm not really interested in sharing my life with people who don't want to invest in me. And that, that sounds bad. But what I mean by that is if we're not close enough that you would pick up the phone to catch up with me once a year or mm. send me a Christmas card or, oh my gosh, we're in town. Let's grab coffee. Mm-hmm. I would rather focus on those people who yeah. care about me and I care about them and I know them and I can come alongside them and encourage them with whatever's going on in their life or on social media. I don't feel that I can really make that impact in people's lives 
because a lot of us are going through so much that we are not comfortable posting on social media, you know, whether that's mental health or financial struggles or marital problems. And so for me and you to grab coffee or to have a phone call and catch up, I feel, I feel so much more connected to you and able to encourage you and vice versa than I do on social media. So I'm fine spending an hour a day catching up with friends on the phone. I would just rather not spend an hour a day scrolling on social media. Um, And I know that's a bit old fashioned and not something someone, most people in their mid twenties would say, but again, it's who I am. It's authentic to me. It's not for everybody. And if that's not you just take what I said and throw it out the window, (laughs) you know, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with who I am. And yeah, that's why it's been great for me to just shut off and truly take my extroverted tendencies and catch up with the people. Almost all of my closest friends live in different States. So to find that time and energy to give them a phone call or a FaceTime is yeah. so much more fulfilling and, and strengthening our friendship than, you know, social media. Well, I would ask this one question and we'll move on because we still have a lot to talk about, but uh, not to you specifically, just to our, to those listening in. Um, and, and I ask this because frankly, I can relate to it. I mean, I've, I've been guilty of this, but w- my question would be for those of you listening, when you go to social media constantly, to, uh, as Taylor was saying, kind of mindlessly scroll, what are you escaping from? You know, what, what is it? Because I think about, it's interesting, um, we can call ourselves old-fashioned for, for thinking this way, Taylor, but I, there, is, <laughs> there is a legitimate comparison to be made, I think, on, well, on multiple levels. But for example, when we think back, not super long ago, 40, 50 years ago, um, when, you know, the, the so-called entertainment that we got to kind of escape from the day was an hour-long TV show in the evening, We've gone from that to now we're constant. We have this constant source of entertainment from a variety of sources that, in many cases, we're constantly going to. Why do we need to do that? Um, and and again, I'm, I'm, this is not me preaching because I'm guilty of it as well. I I would wonder what is it what is it that we're trying to what hole are we trying to fill or what are we trying to escape that we need to constantly pull up in Instagram or YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or Clubhouse? You know, the list goes on. Why can't we just be? Or why are we not, to your point, Taylor, making more of an effort to actually reach out and have a conversation with somebody that goes beyond a few characters and an emoji? Why aren't we making the effort for that, whether it's in person or giving them a call? I mean, we've got, you know, everybody jokes about Zoom because of the last year and COVID, but we've got these really cool tools like Zoom that enable us to be able to have a face-to-face, quote-unquote, face-to-face conversation with somebody and go deep, go way beyond these kind of trite comments that in, in many cases we're posting to social media. But I would just ask again, what is it? And, and I'm going to leave this question where it is. What is it that you're running away from or what hole are you trying to fill by constantly going to your phone to fill the space, to fill the time, figure that out uh, because that may enable you to, to establish a little bit more healthy perspective. And, and again, I'll, I'll be right there with you. I need to work on it myself. But I, I want to keep going here. Let, let's talk about an impactful business or self-help book that you have read or listened to in the last few years. I'm curious to get your take on this, especially as a, a new full-time photography business owner. Well, I absolutely love it because now I can read a book and it I can convince myself that this was work. I was working on the business. I was improving my, you know, this is an hour of continuing education. So I'm, I'm loving this new world and something that my husband and I both committed to in 20, um, 2020 and in, into 2021 was reading more. And I, that's another reason I want to just shut my social media apps, because if you scroll for 30 minutes a day, you could read 30 minutes of a book a day, be learning new things, educating yourself and um, 
I, I love it. So I have a, <laughs> I have an entire bookshelf of business books that are on deck, but one that I read in 2017 was called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Have you heard of it or has any guest mentioned it before? One or two people have. Yeah. I'm actually really curious about it. Okay. So it's, it's basically the story of how Nike started and they were dealing with shipping problems and sourcing problems and vendor and marketing problems and staff problems. And if you're a struggling business owner or you're having imposter syndrome or, you know, not really sure if you should keep keep on keeping on, please pick up this book and read it because reading how Nike had hurdles in the beginning and all the things they did wrong. I mean, what we would call today entrepreneurship 101, these people would have gotten an F in and they're Nike and it's a publicly traded billion dollar (laughs) international company. It was so encouraging to me. I mean, I've read story brand and that was, that was mentally a mental shift, a paradigm shift, life-changing but everyone's read story brand. And so for me, shoe dog is an encouragement to any entrepreneur out there, especially anybody in product, more of like the product space. You are not the first one to struggle. And trust me, there's people who are out there doing it worse than you are. So it, it, was, it was just a book that basically gave me the confidence in 2017 when I was starting my business that, you know, if, if they went from this to that, I can do it too. Yeah, it, it's interesting how you don't always get the backstory, you know, to to what's oh, happening. People absolutely. Are like, how did you do that? That's so great. What, how, like, and and you're like, well, there's there's a pretty um, uh, crazy story behind the scenes um, that you know, whether it's my business or your business, Taylor or anybody else's, uh, that many of us don't get to see. You know, thanks in part to again this very curated. Uh, presentation of our brands on social media. I mean, I can speak to, you know, photographers edit, which by the way, photographers edit is uh, theoretically or technically, I say theoretically, technically a sponsor of the show, photographersedit.com. If, if anybody is looking to outsource their editing, but my company photographers edit, when we, the first three years or so um, of our existence were frankly nightmarish. I mean, trying to, to work out our, or refine our workflow, the production processes, um, you know, our biggest challenge as an editing company is consistency. It still is uh, at the end of the day, because we have to figure out how to effectively manage expectations and then manage communication both ways. So that at the end of the day, our clients are getting what it is that they're looking for. And and so consistency and delivering on that is our biggest challenge still. But man, at the outset, it was it was rough. It was super rough. And And yet, you know, that doesn't, nobody sees that. Um, if they were there, they happen to use their service at the time they can speak to it, but otherwise the backstory <laughs> isn't there. And we've had the opportunity to, to work with thousands of photographers since, um, internationally around the world. It's a pretty cool opportunity, but that backstory doesn't get published. It's nice to be able to, to hear and see, um, these stories. I just, I literally just added the book to my list too, cause I'm really curious to read it. Please read it. And it, it reads like a story. It does not read cool. third person biography. I mean, it's, it's really a very neat book that peels back the layers and, Nathan, like you're saying, how many photographers out there do you feel like really under, like our clients do not understand everything a photographer does. You know, we're HR, accounting, um, marketing, admin, email, legal, we are everything. And so when all of your clients see on social media is a pretty headshot of you holding a camera and some bomb photos from the latest wedding you photographed, they think, wow, that looks amazing. I wish I could drink coffee and work for myself, you know, but on the back end, they're not seeing 
all that other stuff. And there's a purpose to that. I, I am very protective about what I share on social media. And again, not everyone is, and that's completely fine. But for me, social media is a client facing, Mm. uh, client interacting. And so to another photographer or on a, on a podcast like this, can I go, Oh, absolutely. I outsource X, Y, and Z and I'm terrible at X, Y, and Z. But when I'm talking to my client, I don't feel like it's the right place to share all the, you know, all the unattractive things about what I do. They're paying for a service. They want full confidence in the person they're paying. And, and that to me, to me, that's why I don't post stuff like that on Instagram. Call any of my friends. I'll be complaining. (laughs) No, you're right. I I think, and and fortunately there's been a, um, I guess a regression in that behavior in the last year or two, maybe the last year in particular, like COVID was taking up uh, COVID and certainly other issues are taking up enough of the, the headlines, Um, and so I haven't seen maybe quite as much, but the amount of, for the sake of, uh, quote vulnerability or quote transparency and this, this kind of shift in our culture in that regard, which I think as a, as a gist or as a basic idea is a good thing. Um, it seemed like some just went to the extreme degree when it came to sharing any and everything and all the problems and all the complaints uh, in their life, in their business. And it's exhausting to listen to like our potential clients. <laughs> like it's great that we want to connect with them on a personal level, but 80% of or not, even 90% of our lives, we they don't benefit from us quote being vulnerable and sharing that stuff. Uh, maybe gear that some of that toward you know your your closer set of friends, for example. But uh, yeah, I think there's a balance to be had, and and so I see where you're coming from there, and kind of filtering some of the information you're putting out in association with a brand. If it doesn't benefit the client's experience in the end, to your original point, Taylor, I, I think that's a, a great filter to run everything through. Thank you. I, I really try, and I mean, it's funny because I'm very private on social media. But in person, I'm as blunt as it comes. <laughs> so people, once they talk to me in our client phone call, I always close with, listen, I, I want you to have an amazing day. I want a, the type of relationship where we can give each other feedback. If you have a pizza stain on your white wedding dress, I'm going to tell you and I'm going to help you fix it or spinach in your teeth. you know. And I want you to tell me the same. If a pose is making you uncomfortable or if we had an hour of photos in the timeline, but you're starving and thirsty and you need a break. I want that transparency with you. I want that honesty, that trust and that openness. Um, But that comes with, for me personally, interactions where I'm speaking with somebody or I've met them in person. I'm, I'm a lot more uh, guarded and, and private on social media. And that's just because I don't know who's looking at it. I don't know who you are. You know, you could be a competitor, a, 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 you know, weirdo. We ha- unfortunately, this the social media age has made it that people can create fake accounts, and so I just want to be really private until I know, hey, you're you're a real person. You're invested. We want to mutually benefit one another. Um, so I think social media can be great. Um, I just, like I said, I'm a little more private on it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I, I want to keep going because we have a pretty interesting topic to get into today. And for those of you that that have already seen the title for today's episode, uh, it, we're we're probably just going to call it let's simplify taxes because um, (laughs) taxes as a topic, and and I've shared this before in the podcast, but certainly in the past anyway, as as a business owner, we're just a major source of stress. Like I'd see the word, I'd hear the word, I'd know it's time to file, you know, quarterly or whatever it was. It was just like immediate cortisol levels going up. I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm stressing. And 
I mean, frankly, at, at, at certain times in my life, there was good reason for that stress because as I've also mentioned previously, I was, I was not managing my finances proactively and effectively as a photography business owner. Um, and that's just not a, a great place to be, be to say the least. But the, the flip side of that is there are ways, uh, which Taylor is actually going to share with us today to proactively manage our finances, to proactively manage the process of paying taxes so that we don't have to stress about them. And in fact, it doesn't even have to, have to, to take up that much time in our lives as photography business owners. Um, so I, this is a really important topic that we haven't spent a lot of time on here in the podcast. Taylor, I know that, that you actually have a kind of a past life, if you will, as an accountant. How did you go from accounting <laughs> to photography? Absolutely. I mean, like, like many listening to this podcast, you know, not, not all of us knew from age two, we were going to be a photographer, or if we did just because of the way you're working as an independent contractor and you have to live really gig to gig. Um, a lot of us need to pick up other jobs or specialize in other things. So I had a journey similar to many where I love photography. I went to Case Western in Cleveland, Ohio. Absolutely love Cleveland. It is not a mistake by the lake. It is the best city in the Midwest. Um, <laughs> any any Clevelanders out there, I gotcha. Yeah, I actually, our home offices for photographers editor based just outside of, of Cleveland. So I've, I've oh. spent a little bit of time there. And it really, that downtown, that the waterfront area with the restaurants and so forth around there, it's actually quite nice. Yeah. So I have recommendation, Nathan. Next time you go to Cleveland, go to Mitchell's ice cream. Okay. It is the, I didn't, I used to not really like ice cream until Mitchell's ice cream. So if you need a sponsor or a plug for another, maybe hit up Mitchell's because they are amazing. And um, yeah, it's What's good about Mitchell's? Like what's, what's different about it? The flavor, you can tell they use real ingredients to make the flavor and not necessarily like a flavor sauce. So you go to your local Walmart and you pick up strawberry ice cream and it tastes good, but you know, it's the strawberry syrup. Right. You go to Mitchell's and the mint ice cream tastes like you bit into a mint leaf. I mean, it's just phenomenal, high quality ingredients, wow. great customer service. Um, definitely pick up a, a pint or something next time you're there. But I forget um, a pint. We're getting like a half gallon. That's the pint's not yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, it's it's delicious. And they have vegan and a lot of other alternatives. My favorite is the vegan chocolate. It's made with okay. a coconut milk base, super rich. I'm a dark chocolate lover and it's it's phenomenal. So you know, I had I had COVID back around Christmas time and I oh, still no. haven't gotten all my taste back. And so my, my enjoyment, and actually this has kind of played in my favor because my enjoyment of, of even sweet things has, has kind of diminished a bit. Cause I just, I don't taste them as much. Um, fortunately the, the bit of taste that I do have, it leans more toward the sweet than the savory. So I can still, I, I can still enjoy a little bit here and there. Um, but yet having that real flavor that actually comes through, like and the way that you describe biting into the mint leaf, um, as opposed to just getting this mint sauce. Um, I, I, I get you on that. That's, that sounds yes. really compelling. Okay. Definitely going to have to check that out. And I think you'll like it. So they have a downtown location and you can actually go in and see all of it being made. Oh, they, cool. they have like a glass window. It's a, it's a cool experience. I think your kids or Jill would really enjoy it. So yeah. definitely. And then there's the West side market right next door. So and if you go on a Saturday, you can hit the market, hit the ice cream shop. It's, it's beautiful. Brilliant. So. I went to school in Cleveland, absolutely loved it. So I majored in accounting and minored in photography and I got married right out of undergrad. We moved to Chicago for him to complete graduate school. And I enrolled in my one year master's program at um, DePaul University. So I did a master's in tax and I started at a firm because I had come from a family of small business owners. And I I just, I wanted to help people like my parents. 
I love about photography and taxes. What to me ties them together is that you're taking something that somebody else finds incredibly overwhelming and, and almost scary and you're simplifying it. And, and then they look back and go, Hey, that wasn't that bad. Mm. Like, thank you. That mm-hmm. is what, that's what I love. And that's kind of where photography, I, I love the the vision and the relationship side and envisioning a shot and then, you know, composing it. Those are kind of my, my things about photography that I love. So my husband, um, if for his graduate program, we needed to take out student loans and I was working this job at the accounting firm and I, I loved photography and I knew I could make money doing it. And he said, yeah, I'll come alongside you and let's just make this our side hustle. It'll be our fun hobby we do together. And we'll set all the savings aside for loan payment when I graduate. And so we loved it. And ultimately, um, anybody who knows, who knows an accountant, you know what I'm saying (laughs) when the tax season hours are real. So I would work 60 hours a week, six months a year and Saturdays in office were mandatory. Um, you know, working 12 hour days were a regular occurrence. Everyone would try to hit 12 or 13 hours on Monday, Tuesday, because that meant your 60 hours, you know, you had four days to spread the other 60 hours out. Wow. Um, and in April, I think the, the week I ever clocked the most hours was 74 hours in April. And so I, I mean, I would work a 60 hour week and then go shoot a wedding and do a 10, 12 hour day. And then I would have to find time to edit the wedding and do the emails and the contracts. I mean, I was just working myself sick and just learn the hard way. Like all of us do something's got to give and what do I want out of life? And you know, what, what brings me the most happiness in a way that I can be who I want to be while still paying my bills. And for me, I, I love accounting. I love taxes, but the work-life balance in that industry is so poor and the expectations are so high. I mean, the, I, I loved my coworkers. I had an amazing team. The partners were great. But at the end of the day, these people have been doing this for 40 years and you got to suck it up if you want to make it. And I, I didn't want to make it that badly to give up everything that would have required. And that was just who I was and, um, you know, no judgment or no ill feelings. I, I keep in touch with my coworkers all the time. I'm, I love those guys, but it just wasn't for me. And I think they knew how much I love photography and, and no one was really surprised when I when we moved back to Michigan, our home state from the Chicago area, it was just a natural time to split. And we were coming off the longest tax season ever. Normally taxes are due April 15th. They had been extended to July 15th due to COVID. So you take a tax season, which is typically about three to four months, and then you spread it over seven. And then you add on the working from home and just all the negativity that 2020 had. And it was it was emotionally taxing. <laughs> and my husband he just looked at me and said, I don't care if you want to be a photographer. I don't care what you do. I want you to be happy. And right now, neither of us are happy. So we got to figure this out as a team. You know, I'll, I'll do whatever it, whatever it takes the same way you would do for me. We got to, we got to figure this out. And ultimately that was the, that was what we chose was to, to say goodbye to the accounting firm and kind of give up the regular uh, benefits and insurance and life insurance and two week pay and kind of do this crazy entrepreneur thing, but I'm loving it so far. And I, I, I couldn't do it without my husband's support. So that's kind of the, the story of how I ended up where I am now. Well, I, would you say at this stage, having made that transition from accountant to photographer full-time, uh, and it sounds like you're, you're quite confident in the decision and, and like you're just, you're in it for the long haul. Is that how you feel? Is there still a certain amount of nerves? I wouldn't say nerves. I would just say 
I just had this talk with my mom, you know, being a woman, we are the one who are equipped to carry the child and to nurse the child and to birth the child. So I, I love photography and I love everything about it. And I love accounting too. And so I want to find a balance that works for me so that if, and when we choose to grow a family in the next five years or so that I can do what I love and but still be present at home with my husband and, and with our future children. So I believe I'm in it for the long haul, but time will tell. Uh, I would say when I graduated from undergrad, I would told would have told you I'm in I'm in for being a CPA for the long haul, you know, and and look at me three, four years later. So I definitely miss even just, you know, I left my firm at the end of July and we're now in uh, you know, 2021, and I'm I miss the accounting and tax. So what I've decided to do is offer accounting and tax um, help for photographers and creatives and independent contractors, because I love, like I said, I love helping people. And in our industry, nobody knows anything about accounting and taxes. People have great business advice, marketing, money mindset, Instagram, um, website design. Everywhere I go, I see all these really talented photographers who also are experts in another uh, field of service or service line. And I have seen nobody who can demystify tax and accounting. And so I feel like that's a unique gift and opportunity that I've been given. And why not lean into that in slow seasons? Um, It just makes sense. And it kind of scratches my itch because I do love accounting. I love tax. I majored in it. I, I worked in it. It was just the lifestyle that didn't work for me, not the subject matter. Well, to that end, let's actually get into it because I, I want our listeners to to be able to relax when it comes to managing their taxes. Leading up to today's conversation, you actually said to me that you recently did six months of bookkeeping in two hours. Um, and, and I think if every photographer realized bookkeeping and tax prep, you know, could be that simple, that stress free, if you will, it, it would be. I mean, it'd just be life changing, really. But it does take understanding the system to simplify the workflow. So let's start there. What do you think are the the baseline principles or the foundational principles that photography business owners should be aware of in order to manage their their financial or finances, I guess, business finances, but ultimately prep for taxes more efficiently? Absolutely. So I, I do just feel obligated to tell you, Nathan, that me doing um, six months of bookkeeping in two hours is like the veteran photographer who's done weddings for 10 years. Um, <laughs> you look at you looking at the back of their camera and I mean, it doesn't even need to go to Lightroom. It's ready for delivery. So I will say that, um, can you get there? Absolutely. Every business owner could do what I do, but it's going to take some hard work. And I mean, running a business, you, we, we signed up for this. We, if you're not running your business like a business, it's a hobby. And that's something I'm very passionate about when clients are giving you thousands of dollars and you cannot redo a wedding day. I mean, you need to be tax compliant and you need to have your, your legal stuff handled and you need to know what you're doing. If you want to put the hashtag CEO boss, babe in your Instagram bio, you know, this is a business and these are, this is important stuff. And if this is not your gifting, hire a CPA, hire an accountant, outsource the heck out of it. No judgment because I give somebody more credit who says, this is not my gifting. I don't like it. I don't want to learn it. I'm outsourcing than somebody who's trying to bootstrap it and doing it poorly and, and really not even, not even trying to educate themselves and to do it the right way. Um, so I just have to put that out there because I don't, I don't want you to think that, oh, one mentoring session with me or listening to this podcast, you're going to be able to do what I do. Like, no, it, it takes work in the same way that every gifting takes work. So 
I, I don't want to deceive anybody. And I felt <laughs> like I had to, I had to give that, um, that heads up, but there, there are some very, very simple techniques and tips that you can do to make tax season way less stressful to make bookkeeping easy. And maybe you don't need to outsource it if, if you set up systems. So something I heard once was that I don't even remember where I read it, but the long story short of it was that there are two types of people. The one, the one type of household always looks pretty clean. And that's because as soon as they use something, they put it away. And then there's another type of household and that household needs a deep cleaning that would take a week to complete because they never put stuff away. Mm. And this just translates so much into tax time is going to be a nightmare if you are unorganized throughout the year. Tax time can be really simple and take one day or less if you're doing the small steps every day to make it such. Does Love that make sense? It. it does. Yeah. So what's some, and that totally makes sense. And it, I, mean, I think back to like the, when I, growing up, my dad in particular, super disciplined, structured, uh, very much a neat freak. And that idea of cleanup as you go um, yep. was just like hardwired in us. What does that look like though, from a tax perspective, what are the things that you would do on a, like a day-to-day or week-to-week basis that enables that kind of efficiency later on? Absolutely. So my number one is receipt management. Okay. So legally you are required to keep your receipts for three years. So in the event of an audit, um, they will want to see the tangible receipts, things like credit cards or bank statements do not suffice. So it's super important that we are keeping track of receipts and doing, doing it correctly. And then recording them, whether that's in QuickBooks or pen and paper or Excel, however makes sense to you. So my number one tip for efficiency is the minute you buy something, you get that automated email receipt, hit print a PDF and go into your Google or your desktop or your external hard drive, wherever you keep something and make a receipts folder and then separate it by month. So what I do is I, I do all my business on Google. And so I go onto my drive. I have a folder that says finances and in it, I have receipts for each year. So my receipts 2021 folder, I put, I make a folder for January and I put the number one in front of it so that the folders will go in chronological order. So I have January. And then when I buy something, I put the date and either the amount or the vendor, whatever is easier for you. So that when you're, you're reviewing your transactions and you go, Oh, I spent one ninety nine, and it came up as some random thing on my bank account. What, what, what was that? Which is that marketing is that education. You go to your receipt folder, you immediately know what it was, you classify it and you move on. So it makes the bookkeeping side easy for you. And then it protects you in the case that, you know, heaven forbid you ever need to show proof that these expenses occurred. It, it really does make it easy. I have, um, so I keep my receipts in Evernote uh, folders, to your point, actually, by the year. And um, and most cases label them as well. There's a label associated with them. So it's very easily searchable. And I've been audited a number of times, actually. And when that happened, I mean, it's funny, actually, I think back to when I had to just simply pay taxes and I wasn't managing my finances well. And the auditing experience, while it was stressful to hear that I was going to be audited uh, for, I think at least one of the cases, one of the situations, but for no apparent reason. Um, yep. No, that's kind of that, popped that up. happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it, it wasn't I mean, as stressful as it may have been. It, it wasn't terrible because I, I'm pretty pretty organized, and so I had these folders that I could literally just share with my accountant, or you know, I could I could search and pull documents as needed pretty readily 
because of the organization. And it's not like it takes a whole lot of time, to your point, Taylor, on an ongoing basis to do something like that. And and at this point, there are a million different apps you can download that allow you to track receipts and associate receipts with expenses. Um, and it's super easy to do, but I, I love that you highlight that. And yeah, absolutely. It makes your life easier later on. Well, something too, Nathan, that um, you mentioned being audited. And so a common misconception is that you only get audited when you're doing something wrong or you're being sketchy. Right. No, as uh, most of us are solo entrepreneurs, um, we have schedule C's. That is where we report our business income. So our business income is actually reported on our personal tax return. We don't file separate business tax returns. The two entities are not separate. Um, So schedule C's, the government knows that, you know, you and I could be taking our family out to dinner and writing client meeting. So by nature, our business structure does raise a little bit more red flags. And you could be doing absolutely nothing wrong, get pulled for an audit. And if you can provide the auditor quickly with what they need, they're going to go, oh, this guy's, this guy knows what he's doing. You know, he's organized, he's legit. I feel good about this. And they're way more likely, like all of us, if you make my job easy, I'm in a better mood and I'm going to make your life easier too. So, I mean, oh, if, if your records are a mess and, and you can't get stuff to your accountant or your auditor or whoever, it goes, okay, these numbers are probably bogus. We need to dig further. It's just kind of common sense. So there's really no downside to being extra organized when it comes to receipt management. Same thing, download your credit card statements as soon as they become available, make a folder, make it somewhere secure and just back the stuff up because you never know when you're going to need it. And then put it in a second location too, in case your hard drive crashes or someone hacks into your account, whatever, and make sure that you have all of these records so that again, quickly for your benefit during tax time, but also a couple years later, if needed, heaven forbid, you can, you can get right what you need and get it quickly. Um, and there's really a lot less stress on your part. I feel like stress comes from not being prepared. And when you know you have what you need, your stress level diminishes. <laughs> Well, it, it's an incredible reminder for everybody. If you don't have a system right now, the, the plastic bags and shoe boxes, um, <laughs> it's just, it's not good enough. Um, make sure that you are using an app like Evernote or, uh, or an app like Expensify or QuickBooks. Or um, take a picture with your iPhone camera of your receipt and save it digitally. I get paper receipts too. It's okay. Just take a photo of it and put it somewhere safe. That's yeah. all you have to do. Yep. As long as that it gets organized. I also know how pictures on a camera roll can just go into the ether and, and never, like you don't know where that is later on. Um, and a system is is certainly going to be much more advantageous down the road. But yeah, at the very least, get take a picture of it so you don't have to keep up yep. with those. those uh, I, the shoebox thing kind of cracks me up <laughs> thinking about the number of times that I heard that kind of thing, even even in recent, you know, relatively recent years. Anyway, we need to keep going. So the, the, the first step then, or, or principle, the idea behind, um, I, I guess, ultimately just having a baseline for the sake of efficient tax management, I, I wrote down, be tidy as you go. Um, and certainly receipt management is a, is a big part of that. That makes a big difference. What's the next big principle? I would say figuring out a system that works for you to track the expenses. So I know a photographer, he's 10 years in the business, one of Detroit's finest. He writes it down pen and paper and then sends a quick email to his accountant. For me personally, it's QuickBooks. I mean, there's as long as it is a way that makes sense for you, I am not going to tell you, you need to go sign up for some subscription and you know bleed money to stay organized. I don't believe it's true. If you're an organized person and you can keep it in an Excel file or keep it on pen and paper, go for it. Um, but 
having a way to classify your expenses is essential. So I personally use QuickBooks. The reason I do this is because I'm an accountant. I want that control to be able to make journal entries, you know, have really clean financial statements because I use those for decision-making in my business. But if, if you're not really financially minded, um, QuickBooks self-employed is perfect. It tracks your mileage for you. All of the, what happens is it links to your bank feed. And so anytime you make a, a bank or a credit card charge, you have the, the control to say, this was marketing, this was education, this was gear. And then because you, it eliminates so much work because it's an auto transaction and you just swipe or type to classify it, which eliminates a lot of, you know, having to look at the bank statement and jot down every expense and oh, am I missing something because the bank feed is auto refreshing all the time. So if you're somebody who doesn't mind signing up for a subscription, I highly recommend QuickBooks Self-Employed. QuickBooks offers four different levels of um, their services. If you are not an accountant or if you do not have an accountant on, you know, on staff or, or for hire, use QuickBooks Self-Employed. It will spit out all your income and expenses at the end of the year. You can just transfer that right onto your tax return. Super easy, tracks your mileage as well. You know, for me, I use Quick, QuickBooks um, online. It's, a, it's one tier up. I only recommend that if, again, you're working with an accountant or you have an accounting background, you understand debits, credits, journal entries, bank recs. Um, and that will, that will, again, allow you, both, both of them will allow you to review your profit and loss statement. And the QuickBooks online allows you to also look at your balance sheet, which I'm financial minded. That makes sense for me. But again, if you're a pen and paper person or you want to do it in Excel, if you don't have a lot of transactions in your business, um, you can do it in Excel, just January spent X and this is the category. And then at the end of the year, subtotal all those categories. Um, Excel can actually do that for you. If you know how to work Excel the way an accountant would, um, you can find YouTube, YouTube videos on it. It's really easy. And, yeah. and, and boom, you but have your PL in Excel for free. I, you know, I have to push back on this and I've mentioned my, my sort of disdain for Excel in the past. I know that it's a super powerful tool, but I guess I'm a little bit confused anymore as to why anybody would be using Excel outside of maybe someone like yourself, Taylor, with your background and your training, why somebody would be using Excel when we have a tool that is dedicated to managing our finances, keeping track of, of certainly the financial information for the sake of um, man or paying taxes. Like when we have dedicated apps for that, why would we use something like Excel? Well, Nathan, first of all, I'm chuckling because Excel is every accountant's best friend. And you basically said, I don't understand why photographers would use Lightroom. Ugh, Lightroom. So I'm laughing while you're talking. That's, no, no, that's, that's why fair. I'm laughing. But I, this, is, this wasn't directed at you, to be clear. This is, I'm talking about for photographers that don't have an accounting background. I mean, again, if, if people are comfortable with it and they can make it happen, that's great. I, I am the furthest thing from that. I I have seen bits and pieces here. I had a friend um, who had a, a local business here some time ago, and and I at one point he pulled up a spreadsheet and was kind of talking through it and or demoing something for me. And I, I had no idea. This was years ago, but I had no idea that that Excel could do so much. And of course, that was only a, I'm sure a small piece of it. I I get that it's super powerful, but in this day and age, and especially, I mean, this podcast is dedicated to, to simplifying things. I'm thinking about the photographers who don't have accounting experience and most probably aren't super versed in, in Excel. And there are these dedicated applications out there that will make us look like accounting geniuses and simplify the process to, to your point, Taylor, with QuickBooks, QuickBooks self-employed, QuickBooks online. Um, they've, they've just, they're, they've improved their user experience so much over the years. I just, I guess I'm confused why anybody would use any other system other than that. 
No, I'm so happy you asked. That's a wonderful question. So to put it simply, QuickBooks Self-Employed, it's the presentation. QuickBooks Self-Employed is doing nothing different than than anyone could do in Excel. Okay. It, it is recording your transactions and classifying them. And if if it's easier, it sounds like for you, QuickBooks Self-Employed would be the answer because you know, you're doing this full time. You care more about simplicity than saving money. Um, you, you, you don't sound like you really love finances or, or are financially gifted and want to get into those gritty details. You are a perfect candidate for QuickBooks self-employed. But if you're someone who like me starting out the first couple of years, I didn't even have enough expenses to justify QuickBooks self-employed. Um, you know, a free mileage app and jotting down the three, okay, Lightroom, $9.99 a month, maybe a client gift. I had no other expenses. Why would I pay the QuickBooks self-employed monthly subscription fee Sure. When, when my goal in my business was to save as much money as possible for student loans? You know, so, I mean, with owning Milu and Photographer's Edit and the podcast and having people on, on staff in your business, absolutely, you should be using a software. But for the person doing this part-time or, you know, not, not a lot of volume of transactions, hey, don't spend the money on QuickBooks if, if you feel that you can handle it in Excel. Um, and so that's kind of my, my, my long answer to your short question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good one. And I realize my, my perspective is, is somewhat limited, but I, I, I think I've seen, um, too many instances and certainly I've been guilty of this too, where, you know, ultimately we, we kind of complicate our lives as individuals or as business owners under the guise of I'm, I think a lot of times with, with Excel, it's, it's the, you know, I'm comfortable with dot, dot, dot kind of conversation. And you have people that are comfortable with it. They learned it maybe in college or even previous to that. And so they, they use it. I, I get it coming from an accounting background. That's a whole different conversation. But for most, I guess, you know, for example, I, when I, this is years ago, but as a photographer for some time, I fought my friend Kevin for, well, I, who knows how long months, maybe even longer about moving from bridge, Adobe bridge to Adobe Lightroom. Now, this is quite ironic considering what I do now, but I, I fought it and it, I fought it largely because I was comfortable with the idea of Bridge. Now, Bridge in and of itself is actually a file management system. It's not really or a browser at the very, uh, at the very most, if you will. Um, Lightroom is actually dedicated to bulk processing of images and, and for multiple reasons is quite advantageous when in comparison, but I was comfortable with Bridge and I didn't really want really to kind of give in to the idea of Lightroom and what it might offer. And so I fought it. And as a result, I missed out. My life was less efficient uh, as a result. And, and then I finally gave in. And now we literally, for what, 13 years now or whatever, we've run our company around Lightroom. Um, but I, I think and that's just one simple example. I think at times it's easy for us to get stuck in what we're comfortable with or what we've been doing for a long time. And we miss out. I get that that you know QuickBooks is a presentation, but again, for most people, they're more more likely to to do the thing that that only requires a couple pushes of a button and that the job's done because of the way that it's designed. It is designed to be more user friendly than an Excel spreadsheet uh, in many ways, anyway. Um, and and if we are just open to moving to, and this doesn't just have to be about Excel and QuickBooks, it could be anything in our business. If we're open to a different idea, if we're at least willing to give it a try, yeah, it may be a little bit of a learning curve or a shift in what we're comfortable to, but we are comfortable with, but we might have the opportunity to make our lives more efficient as a result. 
Um, I don't know what it is about Excel that just gets to me so badly because, again, I understand that the potential advantage is there. But that's just my thought and something I want to put out there for everybody. I would just equate it, Nathan, to understanding um, the need of when it's time for you to go full frame sensor and invest in high quality glass. Yeah. Right. So your first year to business, you're, you know, like me, the first uh, camera I ever got was the Best Buy DSLR, Canon Rebel, Holler, you know, great, great vintage camera. And that was perfect when I was doing this for family sessions, 50 bucks on the weekend. And, um, you know, in high school, just doing things for fun. That was the right choice for me to invest in learning, a, you know, the full Canon system and understanding lenses. And it, it didn't fit at the time. Now, as a full-time photographer, I better be shooting, you know, shooting weddings. I better be having the best equipment and knowing it inside and out. And I would just equate um, the early years of your business. If you want to use a pen and paper or an Excel spreadsheet, go for it. But there is a time, like you're saying, where you need to step up and be that business owner and invest your time into learning how to make your life simpler so that you can go on and make more money and, and have more free time and do all those things. So maybe because you're so... Um, I don't want to say like accomplished, but because you have so many businesses, the idea of using Excel spreadsheet is ludicrous. But for, I look at Taylor of five years ago and that was all I needed that the QuickBooks would have been overkill. So I would say just, just knowing yourself and your business and your giftings and your financial goals and, and what you're doing. And that, you know, that, that is how you make your decision. Like we do in every aspect of our lives. So I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying for some people, you have two transactions a month. Why would you pay for QuickBooks? It makes yeah. no sense. You know, jot it down. No, if I, you're running, I, if you're running three businesses, you better be paying for QuickBooks because your <laughs> is gonna, you're gonna, your notebook is gonna be ridiculous, and you would need an accountant to manage the Excel spreadsheet. So, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Oh no, no, I love that you push back, and, and you're right. I mean, it's it's certainly dependent as as are many things uh, dependent on the context. Uh, and, and I love I love your explanation the way that you kind of broke that down and the reasoning behind the thought process. Uh, certainly for all those listening in, make sure you're intentional in the choices that you're making. Um, and to Taylor's point too, not only should we be tidy as we go, but what's going to enable that uh, in managing our finances and preparing for paying our taxes. Uh, we certainly need to have a system in place. QuickBooks is a great place to start, and we'll make sure to link to, to QuickBooks and QuickBooks Self Employed in the show notes. BocaPodcast.com. Uh, Taylor, I think you've got one more idea for me that'll kind of enable further enable photographers to more efficiently prep for tax time, managing their accounting. Um, what would that be? I would just say staying on top of it. So as a, I mean, it's hard. I'm not sure what everyone's legal entity classification is, but most people who are solopreneurs, photographers have, um, like I said, their business income is reported on their personal tax return. So that means that you need to be paying into, um, independent contractor or estimated taxes every three months. So really, we need to have a system in place that allows us to do bookkeeping at a minimum every three months so that we know what we're required to pay in every quarter. So I would say using creating these systems and, and using this and then using the data to make financial decisions and calculate your taxes, it makes it way less stressful. And it allows you to be that CEO and be that business person that says, wow, you know, at, at every Q1 after that, that Christmas engagement rush and January bookings are crazy. Q1 is my highest quarter year after year after year. 
I need to be ready to make a big tax payment because I know Q1, the, the cash is flowing into my business. And a lot of other photographers, it's Q3 with the fall wedding season. So when you have things in your business and you make a PL, you have systems in your business that allow you to make a profit and loss statement quarterly and then annually, you can use the data and the comparisons to make predictive future decisions in your business and see the trends and then plan your life around them. So everyone always views my mom, bless her heart. She is a dental consultant and she works in a dentist's office and she constantly tells me, "Ugh, the accounting, like, oh, it's so dumb. And I hate working with the accountants and it's all compliance work. And I know that she's missing that piece where not only is it compliance, but if you do it right, it's future predictions. Yes. It, it allows you to make data-driven decisions instead of gut-based decisions. You can look and see, man, I'm making a killing on albums or I'm making a, a killing. I did a couple family sessions or did that one mini session and I really saw a difference. Let's do that moving forward. Or man, the client gifts are really adding up. What is a way I can do that more cost-effectively? So I, I don't think, I think people view accounting and taxes as a compliance type thing, like a nuisance in their business when they're not unlocking the potential that this is going to allow you to make data-driven decisions as the CEO of your business to grow. And that's something that I I wish more people understood um, because it it can be eye-opening and beautiful and and really allow your creative energy to flow on how you can grow your own business. No, that's a great point because now it's now it's proactive. The thought process, the mentality is proactive in nature. It's not reactive, right? And, and if I think to the, the Nathan of whatever, 15, 16, 17 years ago in, in the photography business and, oh my goodness, it's tax time again. And what am I going to have to do? And, and mm-hmm. that's really the the only thoughts about managing finances that and can I pay my bills this month? Um, that That reactive tendency, which is associated with um, certainly lack of preparation, a lack of than proactivity uh, that that just keeps you in a stressful place whereas if you do exactly what taylor's just saying for everybody listening in if, if you're keeping up with things as you go if you stay if you're tidy as you go and you've got the system that enables you to do that now what you can do is use that system to strategically and proactively manage your businesses and you can actually use the data that ends up in quickbooks or excel if you must <laughs> um, to, to make intelligent decisions about your business. It's not just about paying taxes. And I'm, I'm really glad that you're, you're finishing it up with this Taylor, because this is really is super important. It no longer becomes this, this tedious, uh, maybe it still feels a little bit tedious, but at the end of the day, you know, this isn't just something for the sake of paying taxes. It's actually something that enables you to more effectively run your business. And, and part of that is making decisions about, Hey, look, I've, I've got, you know, X amount of expenses or percentage of, of uh, expenses coming at this time of the year. And from this particular category, what adjustments do I need to make to my business model to, to better that, for example, or I, I noticed that my income, 80% of my income is coming from this particular stream. And maybe I need to focus more of my attention in there instead of wasting 50% of my time in this other thing that's only generating 20% of the revenue. These types of decisions can be made when you have the data to make them with. But if you're not intentionally and proactively putting that information in, then you won't have access to the reports that give you that information that enable you to more intelligently, strategically, proactively run your business. So that, at the end of the day, is is super empowering, and I, I would just encourage everybody to do it more. It certainly changed my life when I when I changed my mindset, my mentality so significantly in comparison to that reactive space that I lived in in the past. 
I would, I completely agree with you, Nathan. And I tell my, the, the photographers that I mentor, I tell them the way that that you take all the time to prepare a client outfit guide or a wedding day timeline, um, you know, or the, the session, the email before the session of where to be, what to wear, what to expect, um, view your investment of taking the time to set up these bookkeeping systems in your business as you making your own timeline. So I'm, you know, I'm a wedding photographer. So if I don't have a timeline call with the client, I'm showing up on wedding day, hoping I'm in the right spot, unprepared, are we doing a first look or are we not? I'm not really sure. What's the mom's name? I don't even know how many bridesmaids, you know, I know nothing. You're going in blind and you're going to not do as good of a job. The timeline is the bookkeeping in your business. If you put the work in every three months minimum, you know, every six, if you really want to push it, then you show up at tax time prepared And then you can also, like I said, forecast and make decisions. It's just an investment in yourself and in your business. The same way you're working so hard to invest in your clients to make that style guide so that they show up wearing attractive things that photograph well, and then they love their photos. That's how you've got to view this as just another investment you're making so that on the back end, the product you have is the product you want. Well, Taylor, I really appreciate you making time to share with all of our listeners today. Um, Will you just remind them not only where they can find you online, but you actually were were talking to me a little bit before we started recording about, I think you're doing a workshop that's coming up. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm actually hosting an in-person workshop. We'll be wearing masks, spaced out. Everyone has their own desk um, just for COVID safety. Um, but that will be in Farmington Hills, Michigan on March 20th. So I'd love to have anybody who feels like they need really a crash course. It's going to be a, a nine hour day where we just cover eight modules and we actually have time in the workshop to put the, put the systems in place and run a couple calculations because there's nothing worse than consuming educational content and then going home and not having time to really, to really apply what you learned. Um, and then I offer uh, mentoring sessions. If you feel like you need a little bit more of a one-on-one experience or you're located outside of Michigan, we just do them over Zoom and do a little prep work on the front side to make sure that our time together is valuable and that we cover the questions that you really care about. And this is a better experience for people who may be a little bit more advanced, maybe already have systems in place and just want to fine tune and uh, focus on a certain area, whether it's bookkeeping, accounting, taxes, sales taxes, et cetera. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that's actually super helpful because um, uh, you know, the, the one workshop in person in Michigan would be certainly for a dedicated group of people or a very specific group of people, uh, most likely local to that area. But having that that access or the opportunity uh, to have access to you via Zoom one-on-one sessions, that, that might be really, really cool for, especially for photographers who are like, I'm just at a loss. I'm overwhelmed. I need help. And you know, I will end with this, Taylor. I, I When I look for an accountant um, here in the Chattanooga area when I, when I looked for one and really one of the main reasons that I continue to, to stay with my accountant and have been, that I've been working with now for years, I, I was looking for somebody that, that would help kind of ease the stress for me, much of which came from just a, a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge. I wanted to know that somebody was there, had my back and, and would kind of ease my fears and, and help me work through um, the questions that I had, the apprehensions that I had, and and ultimately be able to handle my taxes um, effectively, and and it was nice to be able to find someone in that realm. 
so I, I can Im- imagine that those photographers listening in, maybe who are new to the photography business world, or maybe have been in it for a little bit, but just haven't had a great experience with an accountant and are apprehensive when it comes to managing their money and, and dealing with taxes, that having somebody like yourself that would have their back could be super, super encouraging. So we'll make sure to link to your information in the show notes. Uh, for those of you listening in, tayloringlesphotography.com, Taylor Ingles Photography on Instagram as well. And uh, we'll make sure to link to all the resources and, and talking points from today's conversation there at bocapodcast.com. Thanks again, Taylor, for, for hanging out with all of us today, for making time for us. Yeah, absolutely. And to everyone out there, owning a business in 2020 and the 2021, you know, kudos to all of us for doing our best to thrive and survive in this, in this climate. And I wish everybody the best is super profitable, financially stable and stress-free year. So thanks for having me, Nathan. Thanks so much photographers for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at bocapodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, photographersedit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.